FIFA is threatening broadcasters, the Florida Panthers made a questionable decision and then reverse it, and we have allegations of suspicious betting activity in U.S. college sports. Plus a really fascinating interview. It's Wednesday, May 3rd. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. FIFA president Gianni Infantino told broadcasters in England, France, Spain, Italy, and Germany that they will have to increase their offers for the Women's World Cup, or FIFA will simply not sell broadcasting rights to the tournament in those countries. Infantino said that viewership for the Women's World Cup is around 50 to 60% of the men's tournament, but the offers from broadcasters are 20 to 100 times smaller. I don't exactly trust FIFA to always be on the right side of history, but this is one instance where they are doing good by throwing their weight around. Infantino said that 100% of the rights fees will go toward growing the women's game. The Women's World Cup takes place in Australia and New Zealand, and it starts in July. Now to Florida. The Florida Panthers, after completing one of the biggest upsets in NHL history, knocking off the Boston Bruins after their historic regular season, geofenced their ticket sales to not sell to people in Canada. The reason is that they're playing the Toronto Maple Leafs in the second round, and apparently they were worried about there being too much blue and not enough red in the crowd. The team reversed the decision a couple of days later, either because their fans had gotten a big enough head start or they were getting enough negative press. And finally, a very intriguing story where we don't know a whole lot right now, but betting regulators in Ohio instructed sportsbooks there to not allow sports betting on college baseball games involving Alabama because a third-party integrity monitor detected suspicious wagering activity on the Crimson Tide game against LSU on Friday, according to ESPN. It just so happens that I wrote a feature last week on match fixing, which is when athletes or staff or referees purposefully alter a match or a game to help someone win a bet. For instance, someone could pay off a tennis player to lose the first set of a match, and then that person could put a big wager on that happening. Because performance can vary for any number of reasons, companies monitoring this stuff look for suspicious bets. Because if someone makes a huge bet on a very specific outcome on, say, a third division soccer team in Austria, that looks kind of funny. This hasn't been a huge issue in the U.S. because most of the sports you can bet on are professional ones where athletes are paid huge amounts of money and betting regulations make corrupt activity pretty difficult. But college sports does represent a potential weak point because the athletes are not paid and there is a huge amount of fan interest. We'll be tracking this one for any ongoing developments. Up next, I had a fascinating conversation with founder and CEO of One Championship, Chatri Sityaktong. One Championship is a mixed-discipline fighting league that is huge in parts of Asia and is making its American debut this weekend. The company is interesting here, but the person is more so. Chatri has a fascinating personal story, and getting to where he is today was a real triumph of willpower. I'm excited to hear what you think about this one. We'll have that conversation right after this. Here's what's trending now. You can defer payments of a full NetSuite implementation for six months. 33,000 companies have already upgraded to NetSuite, gaining visibility and control over their financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more. Everything they need to reduce manual processes, boost efficiency, build forecasts, and increase productivity. Whether your business generates millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, take advantage of this special financing offer of no payments or interest for six months at netsuite.com frontoffice. That's netsuite.com frontoffice. I'm 
joined now by Chatri Sutjotong, founder and CEO of One Championship. Welcome, Chatri. Hey, nice to have you. Uh, nice to be here. Thank, Thank you, you, Owen. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, great to have you. And it's nice so, to have you on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like when someone says, like, you know, yes. thanks for coming to my restaurant or something. Okay, yes. for coming to mine. <laughs> um, uh, One Championship is a uh, a fighting league um, that you you guys are are very big in places like Thailand. Now you're you're making your move into the U.S. So uh, first, let's just start basic. Uh, what is One Championship and how is it different from other fighting leagues like UFC that uh, other folks may have heard of? So uh, One is the world's largest martial arts organization, uh, broadcast live to 179 countries every Friday um, all over the world. Um, and we're the world's largest martial arts organization as opposed to UFC, which is the world's largest MMA organization. We actually have the whole plethora, the whole gamut of martial arts uh, disciplines on our platform. Um, UFC has just MMA. We have MMA. We have Muay Thai. We have kickboxing. We have submission grappling, and the list goes on. And the 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 way to describe one is, you know, we're the Olympics of martial arts. The very very best on the planet, competing across all the very dis- uh, various disciplines, um, and, and showcase around the world. Um, and and so uh, we're very excited to come to America. American fans are in for a real treat. We're bringing the entire world of martial arts to America for the first time. Um, it's a completely differentiated product and experience, um, whether you're a fan in stadium or, or a viewer at home, uh, compared to anything that exists in America right now. Um, and on a personal level, it's super surreal for me. And, and I have a, a, a feeling of very deep sense of gratitude because I lived in the U.S. for more than uh, 18 plus years. And uh, uh, I owe a lot to this incredible country. I came uh, at one point in my life, I had a, a one suitcase and all my life belongings in, in it. And my mom had to come live with me in, in the dorm room uh, at school because she had no, we basically broke. My, fa- my father went bankrupt and, and, and abandoned the family. And when I think about those days, eating one meal a day, my mom sl- sleeping in my dorm room, I was on the floor. Uh, it's surreal that I'm even here. Uh, you know, I think that was like 25 years ago. I'm, I'm back in the States. Uh, bringing the whole world of martial arts here—it's just—it's just a wild, uh, trippy uh, feeling. But the overwhelming feeling is—is is a deep sense of gratitude. Yeah, yeah, that's great, and and I'm sure that story is—is is not anything you can sum up in in any like short amount of time. But if you could just like give us a little bit of your journey of how you you know went from your dorm room with you know all your possessions in a suitcase and your mom living with you to uh, running a major martial arts company. Um, if you could like give us the super high level version of that story. Super high level version is, you know, I've been a lifelong martial artist. It's been my greatest passion my entire life. I started Muay Thai 38 plus years ago. I train every day to this day. You know, I've been a student, a competitor, a teacher, uh, and now a CEO. Um, I've been doing jujitsu for about 16 years, a brown belt under Henzo Gracie. Uh, you know, martial arts is, is, is my greatest passion. It's, it's an obsession for me. I train every day, uh, no matter where I'm traveling here, I'm, I'm in LA today, you know, uh, I'm going to train after this. Uh, I, I, it's, it's, it's just something I love. And, um, when I was dirt poor, uh, having emigrated to America permanently, cause I, you know, when, when my father went bankrupt and, and abandoned the family, my mom's idea was you can, as the oldest son in Asian, Asian culture or Thai culture rather is the oldest son becomes a patriarch. So I, I had to take care of my younger brother, send him to school, uh, you know, pay for his school fees and whatnot, university, and and take care of my mother. And um, the plan was to come to America. And uh, it, it's, um, 
when I was dirt poor, eating one meal a day, watching my mother suffer, I just thought, man, if I can make a boatload of money, I can alleviate all these problems and 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 all the suffering that mom, my mom is going through. And um, when I was in, in school, I, I started a company and eventually went to Silicon Valley, raised forty million dollars in venture capital, uh, sold the company, then ended up uh, for a decade on Wall Street with my own uh, global hedge fund for the, the majority of it, uh, and where you know I had a five hundred million global hedge fund, but I. One day, I think I was like 35, 36 around there. I can't remember the AA or roughly there. I had this sense of like emptiness. I, I had made millions and I was quote unquote successful, but I, I had the houses and cars, but I just didn't feel fulfilled or happy inside. I know it, it sounds um, ungrateful or even corny, but um, I climbed to the wrong, top of the wrong mountain. You know, I mean, there are many people who love investing, who love being on Wall Street. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's just for me, I I chased the money and I didn't think deeply about what is it that makes me happy. And so life came full circle. I, you know, I was training the whole time. Uh, I was training at Henzo Gracie Academy in Jiu Jitsu um, and, and Muay Thai. And it just occurred to me like, man, why can't I make a living of something I, I love, my greatest passion? Then... I looked, you know, having lived in the States for so long, I saw the, the the sporting culture here, you know, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, UFC, NASCAR. You know, these are all multi-billion dollar sports properties. Uh, NFL is worth $100 billion, NBA is worth $70 billion, uh, and the list goes on and on. And when I looked at Asia, where I'm originally from, and I grew up I grew up in Thailand, there's no, there, there's never been a sports property. They're local country sports, but I'm talking about a global sports property uh, akin to the NBA. So I thought the idea, you know, I'm going to start Asia's first global sports property. There's 4.2 billion people that live in Asia. And I'm going to do it off of Asia's greatest cultural treasure, which is martial arts. 5,000 year history. How hard can it be? Every country has a martial art. You know, China has Kung Fu. Uh, um, Korea has Taekwondo, Karate, Aikido in Japan, Muay Thai in Thailand, um, Dumog and, and Silat, uh, you know, out of Philippines and, and, and uh, Indonesia, Malaysia. So... It, it just made sense. Now, I didn't know that the first three years I tried that, it was a complete disaster. I got rejected by all the broadcasters who said it's a stupid idea. Asians don't need a sports property. I got rejected from investors, brands, governments, you name it. Thousands of rejections. Uh, and the business was going nowhere for the first three years because it was just – people were just it's – it's just a stupid idea, <laughs> literally. Um, but I got very lucky. You know, I started the company 11 years ago. And if you chart the rise of smart mobile devices 11 years ago and you chart the rise of social uh, media and the digital economy, the connectedness, the internet connectedness of the entire world, that rise is exactly why one went through the roof. It's like when we put out a piece of content, a flying knee, KO, whatever, across all the different disciplines, it goes viral around the world. We had millions, we got, we gathered millions of fans all over the world just from putting out our, 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 our highlight reels of our shows. And... That is what got in, uh, broadcasters interested, and, and one by one, you know, today we're broadcasting in 179 countries with the biggest broadcasters uh, in the world in, in every region. You know, whether it's Amazon in, in the U.S., it's Globo in, in Brazil, or uh, you know, Seven Network in uh, Australia, uh, Bean Sports in the Middle East. These are all the the, the giant uh, um, broadcasters, right, of, of, of the respective regions, and um, uh, it just. W- you know, the way it turned out, it's just, uh, it's like I said, it's, it's a deep sense of gratitude because there's a lot of luck involved. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
you know, luck, but it sounds like you you stuck with it through a lot of a lot of hard times. You know, it's it's I think it's it's lucky if it works on your first time. If it's if you stick with it for a few years of failure, that that might be something else. But yeah, you mentioned broadcast partners. You're working with Amazon now in the U.S. What has that relationship with you know one of the biggest companies in the world meant for for one championship and for you? Uh, it's a very special partnership. I, I, um, you know, uh, Marie Donahue, the global head of sports. Uh, really believes in the partnership, really believes in one. Um, and our teams, our respective teams, get along fantastically well. Uh, uh, everyone's very motivated with a five-year partnership. We want to build something spectacular together. Um, the numbers have, have, have exceeded Amazon's uh, expectations and, and what they were uh, predicting for, for uh, how, how it would perform on Amazon. Uh, in fact, uh, we're now discussing um, you know, how to broaden and deepen the partnership. Um, the Amazon team will be at the event next week in Denver, May 5th, that I'm meeting with the uh, leadership uh, ne- the following day. Um, so really exciting times, you know. Um, Amazon's really making a big bet in sports and they just, they're just getting started. If people think Thursday night football is amazing, wait till you see all the other big plans are going to roll out. Um, it's, it's just, you know, Amazon has a track record of when they go after an industry, they tend to dominate that industry. Uh, look, look at AWS in the cloud. Um, business, you know, um, they were not the first uh, mover, but they they are now the largest in the world. So um, Amazon, I, I predict the next three to five years will be the world's largest sports broadcaster. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they're certainly making moves in that direction. It'll be pretty yep. interesting to see. Um, also in the media world, you are the host of uh, a version of The Apprentice, like the sort of business show where people pitch you ideas. And I guess um, so. But because it's Apprentice One Championship, it's not The Apprentice that other people may have seen. So uh, talk to me a little bit about that. How does that show work and how did that all happen? Sure. Um, so it's the first it, it is officially the, the Apprentice. It's the first global edition of The Apprentice. It's broadcast uh, all over the world on Netflix, or rather, it's it's available on Netflix. And in America and Canada only, it's available on Amazon Prime. And um, it's the world's toughest edition of The Apprentice. Um, and why do I say that? It's a combination of Squid Games, where there's you know unbelievable physical uh, tasks that w- blow your mind away. Yeah. Hopefully not with the same punishment for messing up in Squid Game, but yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and on top of the, you know, the business challenges that you saw in the in the original version of The Apprentice here in, in the U.S., uh, where the, the contestants have to go through uh, figuring out business um, uh, solutions and business prop, uh, propositions, uh, and then the winner gets a quarter million dollar job offer to work directly for me. Um, you know, and it, and it ended up being a big hit out in Asia, and. Uh, uh, yeah, and there's a second season coming out later this year. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Oh, yeah, I'll admit I had no idea that there was more than one version of The Apprentice. Um, so, yeah, fascinating stuff. Um, just to, to wrap us up here, what are your your biggest ambitions for one championship? Nielsen, uh, you know, the ratings agency, came out with a, a, a global sports industry report um, uh, of the t- 20, top 20 largest sports media properties. We're ranked, I think, number five around there. You can download the report on Nielsen.com. I was quite surprised at our ranking. You know, I knew we were growing very, very fast. But what what uh, this report showed was that the re, our viewership numbers, uh, unique viewership numbers on TV, on social media, and digital media, etc., uh, around the world. Um, and 
that was very surprising to me um, because, you know, we were neck and neck with the NBA. Um, I think UFC was number eight or number nine. And again, we were number five around there. Um, you know, the, the likes of uh, English Premier League or Champions League were there. It, just, it, was, it was mind-blowing to think that the scale of our numbers, uh, whether it's organic video views on social and digital, whether it's, it's TV unique viewership numbers, was at that scale. I, I didn't know. I knew we were growing very fast and I knew the vision was to be a truly global sports property. Of course, that was what, what the team was going after. Um, but of course, you never know what other sports properties are doing, right? Uh, so that was very uh, eye-opening. But at the same time, it was very inspiring. It's like, look, we're just getting started because we, we hadn't even arrived in America yet. We just we haven't even entered America, uh, which is the world's largest sports market. So uh, I think uh, this is just the very beginning. It's still day one for us. I, I truly believe that uh, we have an opportunity to be one of the most uh, um, valuable uh, sports properties on the planet, full stop. Um I know our content resonates with millennials and Gen Zs all over the world, uh, across borders in different countries. Um, our numbers are blowing up in China, in Thailand, in um, you know Europe, in 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 Latin America, and uh, even the, our Amazon numbers. Even though we're only once a month on Amazon Prime right now, right? The numbers are exceeding Amazon's own uh, internal expectations. So, you know we're. What we're doing is somehow going viral all over the world um, and, and doing very, very well. So uh, I just feel like we're, we're at the very beginning of our story, Owen. Like no one knows us here in the States. Like we're brand new, right? I mean, maybe the hardcore martial artists or martial arts fans, they definitely know who we are. But I'm talking about no one knows us, meaning the, the, the mainstream here, right? Um, so I love it. I love the opportunity. I love the challenge. And, and I know we've done this in many countries where, where we enter a country, no one knows us, and we end up being number one or number two in the entire country for all sports. Like the Philippines, where we're number one, number two. Um, or in Thailand, we're number one, right? So uh, we're used to coming into a country um, and, and, and eventually figuring out a way to to spread uh, the love for the product and the heroes. Yeah, fascinating. We'll be keeping an eye on you. Shatri Sitadyang, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Owen. I appreciate it. Take care, man. That's it for today. Please leave us a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening. Also, belated congratulations to the new world chess champion, Ding Li Ren, who won a drama-filled match against Jan Nepomnishi. Give me a shout if you ever want to talk chess. It's one of my favorite topics. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.